Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name is Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Bill Indick. Welcome to the show. Hi, Stuart. I'm happy to be here. I'm talking to Bill about his book, Psychology for Screenwriters, which is uh, enjoying its second edition um, in 2022. Bill, do you want to give people... Because uh, I made the mistake when I first read the email uh, that I got from the publishers that this was about, <laughs> about helping screenwriters psychologically. But then... Oh. Then when I reread it, and obviously and I've got the book and I've been able to read it, this is about using psychology to, uh, to, to, to be a better screenwriter. You're the first person who's ever made that association that it's psychology. It's just like a therapy book for screenwriters. I don't think anyone else read it that way. So it's a unique approach. Well, I think, I think if, we, if we get into the psychology of it, I think Freud might have a lot to say that that's what I read first. I've spoken with a lot of screenwriters uh, over the past 20 years or so since I've written the book. and. At a very, very basic level, all screenwriters are, ther- are, are are using it as a therapeutic process for themselves. They have something, they have a story they need to tell. The story invariably is about themselves, although they might not be completely aware of it. And the urgency and the need to get that story out is a real psychological need. Absolutely. I mean, I can talk to an example where it, it was where it was not even like a, a thinly veiled attempt at trying to do it. It was literally during lockdown, I wrote a screenplay where it had a female protagonist and I was writing it because I couldn't see my mother who was in hospital. She was 200 miles away and I put all my angst and anxiety into this character as, as to try and think about my mother through my writing. I mean, it was no, no, there's nothing, there was nothing thin veiled about it at all. It was only later that I realized it was a, it's a, it's a story of an Uber driver, the female character mm-hmm. who picks up a guy and they go 300 miles in the car. And it was only when I recently had it analysed uh, as part of some writing group that I attended that I learned that I'm the passenger in the car. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah, that's certainly that's what a what a metaphor for a relationship with a mother than other than you know driving in inside the uh, her her vessel uh, as she brings you in, into the world. Um, a wonderful metaphor. Indeed. So, so for you, I mean, just to give people an idea of, of, of where this, why write the book in the first place? What was, what was, what, what give you the sort of trigger for that? And then, and then the second question is, why are we getting a second edition now? Right. Uh, So this is going back. The first edition was published in 2004. uh, So I wrote it in 2003. 
Uh, so it's about 20 years old. Mm. Um, at the time, I was a, a conflicted in myself about you know where I wanted to go with my writing. And mm. I was very, very interested in movies. And I, I liked writing about movies, but I also liked writing movies themselves. And also at the time, I, was, I had finished my PhD in, in developmental psychology from Cornell. So I was a professor. Mm. And I was like, also, so, so how can I tie all of this stuff in together? Uh, and I was uh, I was writing books on um, or I was writing my first book on film analysis, or the psychology of film. Mm. And I did get in touch uh, with um, uh, Michael Weiss Productions, who, who uh, wrote The Hero's Journey, which was a, a you know a great book and one that opened up my eyes a lot to the psychology of screenwriting. So um, I wound up taking all of my psychology ideas that I had applied to film already and just sort of flipping them for Michael Weiss uh, writing psychology for screenwriters as a way uh, not of analyzing film, but of thinking about uh, writing characters and writing stories um, with knowledge of this of the sort of psychological nuts and bolts behind it mm. um so rather than trying to understand psychology through film it was more of how do you write film using an understanding of psychology um and i didn't think much of it at the time it was like oh, okay this is another way of me exploring psychology in film but the book found an audience uh i think especially among uh, um classes uh screenwriting classes yeah. perhaps because i'm an academic and the book itself uh uh lends itself well to academia because there's lessons and, you know theorists yeah. and uh uh tons of uh content uh that could uh that could not just be applied to film but applied to psychology so um the book the book kept on you know finding audiences it was translated into seven languages and yeah, so after 20 years or close to 20 years um, yeah, I got the call. Hey, let's do a second edition. A lot more movies have come out since 2004. There's interest. There's other countries, that, other publishers who want to translate it into other um, languages. So that's basically the story of the book. I, I never thought it would amount to anything, uh, but it has found a following and it certainly has um, earned a second edition. Indeed. indeed. So so what is, I mean, I can see from the film examples what what's what's new, but what what in particular content wise from a psych mm -hmm. psychology point of view, have you have you added to what was already there? Well, the, the original, I, I changed the structure of the original book. So uh, um, essentially, in the original structure, there were, um, I think, seven or eight different theories that I covered. Certainly, you know, the sort of classic theories, Freud, Jung, Adler, Erickson. Um, and also I added a couple of others, such as Rollo May, who's an ex existential mm. psychoanalyst. Um, and also Joseph Campbell, who's he, who is not a psychologist, but certainly his book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, is uh, more psychological than most of the psychology books I've read. Um, and also because the hero's journey model is so well known and because it's a classic, classic model of the hero, it's retrograde, meaning it shows a, a version not just of males, but of females that are really sort of more suitable for uh, maybe 2,000, 3,000 years ago. So I, I, I add in the original book, I added a chapter on the heroine's journey, okay. the female hero's uh, journey. So for the new edition, all I did was I took those theories and sort of uh, brushed them up a little bit, made them a little bit tighter. And then I added three chapters and I decided not to add three new theorists 
because I felt that I had covered as much theory as I wanted to in the first book. So I, I did three study, uh, three three new chapters, each one a psychological study of a film genre. Uh-huh, okay. uh, so the Western, fantasy, and science fiction. So uh, yeah, those are the three new chapters. Well, okay. Psychology for Screenwriters, second edition, is available for Michael Weiss Productions, and it's by Bill Indick, who I'm talking to now. And what we're going to do as a way, hopefully, to illustrate some of the some of the theories is follow my three times five format. So Bill has very kindly given me three prompts. And what we're going to do is use those as a trigger to a conversation, um, hopefully, but obviously more more leaning on Bill for this. Uh, I'll hopefully just be helpful to clarify, hopefully help to clarify what, what, what you're talking about. Um, but before we do, I'll just remind people of the format. So it's it's the three headings. Uh, we go five minutes against the clock. And every time the alarm goes, which is when you'll hear this noise, that's when we move on to the next one. That makes sense to you, Bill? Great. Question number one to sort of consider is, how is your protagonist conflicted about his or her identity? What, what, were, you, what were you trying to get at here with this? What were you trying to draw out? But, and I have to admit, when you gave me the, the questions, the prompts, initially, I was kind of thrown, and then I was very, very busy, and then I realized, oh, I have to give respond. So uh, I, I did something which I do often, which is I just, I didn't think about it. I just wrote out three prompts yeah. and sent them, uh, knowing that, obviously, there's something behind it. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's something I actually recommend for screenwriters, is if you don't know what to write, just write something. Don't even think about it. Just mm. write. And more often than not, you knew what to write to begin with. It was all this conscious deliberation that was blocking you. To go back to the question, my thought when I read these prompts this morning was, oh, I see what I was getting at. And it's the idea that, so every story has uh, at least a couple of stories going on inside of it. So if you're watching a movie, well, that's the story of all these characters and the plot and things going on. But each character has an inner story that's going on, and that's character development. Okay. And uh, uh, all of those stories are going to be told in various ways, but um, the protagonist has the fullest story, mean, uh, meaning they're going to somehow have to come full circle and change as a person. Otherwise, your protagonist isn't doing their job as a main character, which is to develop in some way, which mm. is to change. And so, and my primary argument about why we watch movies and why we get so obsessed with movies and movies characters is because we so desperately ourselves want to develop and change as people and become mm. better people. And we do that vicariously by identifying with the protagonist. So the protagonist always has to be conflicted. That's obvious. And it's because of this story within the story. Uh, similar to, uh, I was hearing Eddie Van Halen in an interview talking about his guitar solos. Okay. And they said, you know, what's your approach to the guitar solo? And he said, well, it's a song within a song. It's a melody. It's a, it's, it's a song oh, that wow. encapsulates the melody of the entire song, but within a, a, a brief solo. And that's what's going on with uh, the protagonist and really any character. Uh, a song within a song or a story within a story. A story about that character's development. And it begins with the conflict. What about themselves they don't like? Yeah. So it's like, because, and in a way, the way to best sort of draw that out in a story is for your plot that, that we see, which we see on the surface, is going mm-hmm. to challenge that conflict in there, what's inside them. Yeah. It's going to draw it out. And again, to go back to Eddie Van Halen, you know, uh, he was asked, well, what do you, so if the guitar solo is a song within a song, 
what comes first, the guitar solo or the song itself? And Eddie said, well, it's different every time. But oftentimes he would write, he would come up with a solo and it would be in a certain key with a certain rhythm and a certain harmonic to it. And he, and then he would get busy writing a song around that solo. Mm. And I think that's one way to approach screenwriting is think of your character get inside your character and then come up with a story that is the, the perfect sort of set piece for that character's identity development. Yeah. I mean, I must admit it's interesting when, even from the outset there where you say just write a, a mm-hmm. lesson that I sort of learned. Oh, sorry. I started an exercise that become a lesson. It didn't, it didn't, I didn't, un- didn't understand it would go that way is that over lockdown, I started writing stream of conscious sort of mm-hmm. short stories where I just give myself an hour and I'd write. Yeah whatever came up and usually I use the photograph as a prompt. So I'd have like two constraints, which is fill three pages and use this photograph as a prompt. So obviously nothing mm-hmm. was ever planned. Nothing's ever, in fact, I don't even look at the pages before I even start. I get up in the morning, I turn the page of the book and like, there's a picture staring at me going, right. But I realized mm-hmm. through the exercise, how important it was for me to be talking to the character, which I always thought was a load of hooey as someone yeah. who's, who's sort of, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm 50, but I'm new to writing in sort of like only the last decade or so as sort of creative writing front. And I always thought of that idea of knowing my character or talking to my character as being absolute hooey, but having done it now for so long, I've realized that Mm -hmm. that is where the best thing, where you discover a dialogue between you and your character is where the best things happen. Mm -hmm. And you're always, yeah, you're speaking with all of your characters all the time, uh, but you're not, you're not necessarily aware of it. And that was sort of the great insight of Freud is this idea that we have our entire psychological life going on all the time, but we're not aware of it because we're focusing on work or we're focusing on driving. We're focusing on that very specific thing that our attention is sort of uh, monopolized by. And if you just let that, uh, if you trick yourself into not focusing all of that psychological content is going to sort of naturally flow out. So a, a Rorschach test, which is basically what you're doing with that picture, mm. is it's a stimulus. <laughs> Go finish your thought. Finish your thought. Yep. So it's a, a stimulus. Uh, so so you, you give yourself a stimulus. It's an ambiguous stimulus. And because it's ambiguous and because you're, you're uh, purposefully not focusing uh, uh, in a very specific way, but opening up your mind to all possibilities – all of those ideas that were in your head, but sort of blocked up, do come out. And they always don't always make sense. It's not always the best ideas. Mm. Oftentimes I find using that sort of stream of consciousness process, a lot comes out that is totally useless or like redundant or boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you get those those gems that wouldn't have otherwise come out. No, exactly. So, no, I mean, you know, yeah. 300, 300 days later, you've got maybe 10 good things, but you have to do the yeah. 300 days to get the 10. Yeah. So you're on your three pages, I'm sure not all of those three pages are useful, but if you get two or three useful things, it's a completely, um, you know, a uh, uh, worthwhile endeavor. Indeed. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I even go so far as to when I finish writing the three pages, mm-hmm. I summarize it into a tweet, which is then another, another constraint mm-hmm. go, what have I got in my head? Have I got a right. character? Have I got a story? Which might just be a reflection of where I think it's going, not even what's on the page. It's like where, cause your mind's already racing. So you're like, what have I got? Yeah. And what's the best way of expressing this idea now? And so, and I keep that in a spreadsheet. So it's like, I have this reference point that I can go back to prompt wise, if needs be. I've not, I've not had yeah. to yet, but one screenplay was born out of one of those exercises. So I can tell you, it, it definitely works for me. And 
mm-hmm. just thinking about the idea of conflicted about his own identity. I watched the film Nanny. I don't know if you've seen that one. A new, a new. I I haven't seen it. Um, I saw it's like uh, I saw I saw the trailer, but I didn't see the film yet. Um, uh, and that's got, and the, the central character is a mother from Senegal who's working mm-hmm. as a nanny in upstate New, new York City, up, uptown mm-hmm. New York City, and she's being a nanny. So it's like she's she's missing her child, but looking after somebody else's child. So the, oh, okay. the whole basis of the character's role in the film is she's conflicted, and then obviously that struggle is what comes out of right. of her during the process of the film. And that's yeah. yeah, again, and it's so it's so simple. Um, but it's such an important concept to constantly remind yourself is who is my character? Meaning what is it about themselves that they don't like? Why are they trying to change? And if you ask, well, why does this character have to want to change at all? I would say, you know, go back to the beginning, <laughs> to the whole, yeah. this whole idea of what, what story is and what film. Well, let's, let's, you're, you're segueing to number two. So number two is why does your protagonist hate himself or herself? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean that your character has to know why they hate themselves or even okay. that they're even a little bit aware that they hate themselves. Um, and, and this is where that sort of uh, interesting sympathy between the viewer and the character come in, where if, if I ask you, hello, hey, Stuart, what do you what thing about yourself do you hate? <laughs> and you, it would probably take you back for a second and be like, well, I don't hate myself at all. Yeah. Um, OK, well. If you're writing a story about yourself, don't you need something about yourself that is going to be a goal, Mm. some type of obstacle that you have to overcome? And if that obstacle ultimately is yourself, well, there we have your story. Your story, which is everybody's story, is how do I become the best me if I'm not even completely sure what that is and I'm not even sure who I am now and what I need to change? And... uh, so that interesting sympathy between viewer and character plays out in that they both share that. We're, we're always aware, yeah, I need to become a better person. I need to change, be a better writer, a better filmmaker, a better father, husband, professor, whatever. We're sort of subtly aware of that. But when you're sort of, you know, like we were talking about a moment ago, when you force structure upon an ambiguous situation and say, don't think about it, just write, uh, but write three pages or write you know, in response to this prompt. So when we take a character, we put him into the sort of fake um, uh, milieu of a film where everything is uh, not just created, but created specifically to get into this character's head and to Mm. get into what's going on for them. um, That's creativity, (laughs) meaning that's taking an ambiguous stimulus, putting it in a somewhat rigid structure in order to sort of take it apart, to deconstruct it and put it back together again. So... So I mean, obviously, hate's a very strong word. So, right. so in a way, it, it, it's it, it doesn't always have to be to that sort of extreme limit, does it? I mean, self-loathing can be. It, I mean, everyone's got yeah. an element of it who's got some humility to them. I mean, I guess, I guess, if you don't hate, if you don't think you need to improve, then essentially, I'm guessing from a psychological point of view, you're dealing with a narcissist or you're dealing with a psychopath or something, aren't you? At that point, if, yeah. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And you're dealing, I mean, uh, so, um, and I, I use the terms love and hate because, you know, they catch your attention. They're yeah. very strong terms. But also I think if, again, if you get into your, into yourself and you're saying, okay, I have to dig deep within myself and then somehow project that, that outwardly onto my character. Mm. Uh, so if you think about yourself for a moment and think about, well, what, what about myself am I trying to become better at? And you think of, you know, that thing about yourself that you don't want to be anymore. Hate is a proper word because it's, uh, it's not that you hate yourself, but it's you hate that thing about yourself. Yeah. And because it's you and because you understand, okay, I can say I hate that part about myself and not necessarily say I'm hating myself as a person, but I hate that specific trait. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I think hate becomes the proper word because you, you, you hate it. You want to get rid of it. You don't want that to reflect on you. No, no, that makes sense. No, I, I just—it's like that. Essentially, I was really just clarifying it to be honest with you, because I, I think that's very true. I, I think we can we can hate aspects of ourselves, we, we, but but we don't control how we improve that, you know, because we can. Yeah, plenty plenty of us will walk into a social situation and be overwhelmed by the fact there's lots of people in the room, and, and yeah. it'll happen repeatedly. And you can't you either don't go to things where you're going to get overwhelmed, or you, you you could confront it and maybe things will change. But you've always yeah. got that choice. Um, I remember recently I was doing um, not nothing to do with screenwriting. And I was interviewing filmmakers for, uh, and it was all done live to camera. You know, they were coming on the red carpet, and it was the first time I'd ever done this. I'd never had this experience in my life. And I was walking up to the cinema, and I'm thinking, I could just go home now. I, d- I don't need to do this. I don't need to put this in my life right now. And it was a real sort mm-hmm. of like a, a tug of war. In me, in me. But I knew I had to do it because to, to walk away would have been I'd have hated myself even more at that point. And then, yeah. and then you go and do it and you come out, you've, you've got, you've had yourself a little victory, 
and you've mm-hmm. and I can't remember. You, I can't remember when I read this. I, I, I did. I used to work in change management, and um, somebody once described, you know, if you're not uncomfortable doing something, then you never develop as a as a person in business. Was the kind yeah. of thing when we were trying to get people to understand that change isn't a threat; it's just part of mm-hmm. personal development. So I guess if you can confront that in a story, you're 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 doing what we're very what everyone. What's a universal truth then, aren't you? Yeah, and um, so yeah, so you have to put yourself in an uncomfortable situation in order to change because mm. you're not going to you're not going to extend your reach if you're not never trying to grasp for something just out of reach. Yeah, so uh, just to sort of complete that thought, um, it's a very common trope that in the first act there is a call to adventure, to yeah. use um, Joseph Campbell's term, and the hero usually refuses to call initially. Yeah. So again, if we sort of you know get to the heart of things and say, okay, well, all of this stuff about story and plot and action, all of that stuff is just a ruse to sort of uh, uh, to set the stage for character development, which is the inner story that mm. is really what the character uh, what the character is going through, and really what we as viewers are identifying with. So, what is that refusal of the call? If we're saying the plot is irrelevant, <laughs> the plot is just a little trick to get us to, to think about character development or play it out some way. So the refusal of the call, if the story ultimately is about change, that you, the character, you must change. And there's something about yourself that you're not even aware of that you hate, and you have to change that as a function of this story that you're going, and this adventure that you're going to go on. So the refusal of the call is this sort of insistence of, I'm fine. I don't need to change. There's nothing about me that needs changing. I'm perfectly fine the way, the way I am. But it's a movie. So obviously that's not true. Yeah. And obviously there's something about you that has to change. And uh, it doesn't have to be in the forefront of the film. In fact, in most cases, it's going on very subtly, subliminally within the character themselves. Yet nevertheless, we know for a fact that when the movie is over and the character has changed and become a better person and they're, if not uh, uh, aware of it consciously, at least we as the viewer are aware of it because now they're happy or now they can be with their wife or now they have a new wife or now, you know, whatever, whatever it is, we know that they've changed. And uh, the, the outside, the external story is the symbol of that change, but the real change is the change in themselves. And the refusal of the call is this uh, uh, sort of wonderful symbol that we, uh, we ourselves are the ones who are least qualified to figure out what it is about ourselves that, that has to change. It's other people who tell us how we need to change. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, that, and that's, that, that stands true with the, like what I was just saying before about my, my, the, about the idea I could just run away and not do those interviews, but actually doing those yeah. interviews did me the world of good. You know, it was like, it was, a, yeah. I felt better. It was a good day you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I remember from a writing point of view, never mind the actual thing you're trying to write. I remember somebody once saying, um, again, I can't remember who, who said it, but it was um, the easiest thing in the world to do is not write. Yes. And, and the converse of that is, you know, um, you, you know, how do you, how do you become a writer? And mm. well, you just write. That's really the only thing you do. You know, you can obviously read books and certainly, certainly read my book and listen to your show. But at the end of the day, you can, read a hundred books and watch a hundred shows and listen to a hundred podcasts. But if you're not writing, then you're not on the journey. You haven't taken the first step. Yeah. Uh, Once you start writing and you feel it, you feel the process moving you, you will be pulled ahead by the process itself. Just like the sea will draw you out once you sort of venture into it. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I was going to say, because to me, I often say to people that they they sometimes focus too much on the noun and not the verb. 
you know, right. I want to be a writer. Well, well then write then it's easy. It's, you know, the yeah. minute you start writing, you're a writer. There's no, mm-hmm. but I think sometimes it's the noun and then this, the whole nefarious notion of when have I made it as a writer? So that becomes this, instead of the actual act of writing and what that, what self-discovery you might have there, which is all, right. which is the joy of writing. Yes. Um, they get focused on the idea of the job of being a writer, which is not the same thing. <clears throat> It's very, very, very difficult, in, especially in America, but I'm sure in England it's the same. This idea of, um, on the one hand, you want to find a creative pursuit that you love, like where you can be yourself and express yourself. Mm. Um, but on the other hand, we all got to pay the rent and make a living. And that's the sort of the classic struggle of work of how can I do something that's personally, personally fulfilling and that I love, but will also pay the rent. Um, and I don't have the solution for that. No. I'm, you know like everybody else, but in terms of, but just to get back to the more simple question of how do you know if you're a writer, if you can sit down and write and just do it for the process itself and enjoy the process itself, then you're a writer, regardless of whether you ever make a dollar. Then no, you're that's, a that's my point. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what I was thinking. It's like, I think if once you get too heads up, I mean, look, I don't make a living from it as, as, as what people would determine like friends of mine who work in office jobs. Right. But I survive, you know, and, and stuff. So it's like, you, but the process of doing it doesn't change, and the journey to mm-hmm. get to even here has been a lot, like a lot of yeah. a lot of nonsense has been written. But you know, you needed to get, that all needs to get out of your system. You need to. It's a constant learning. I mean, weird. I didn't realize until reading your book and thinking about this interview how much how much because you live in your head so much. Yes, and you have these psychological bat- battles, which and a lot of them are just quite fundamental binary ones of like, what's the bloody point? I might as well stop this now. And then what is it psychologically that happens that makes that compels me to keep going? I'm, I've not worked it out. I'm glad it's still, the compulsion still remains because it, it'd, be yeah. it'd be more logical to just go get a job that paid me by the hour and then I'd come home, have my dinner, go to sleep, wake up, get paid by the hour. That would make more sense from mm-hmm. a logical point of view. But from an internal character point of view, whoever I am, I think it would drive me insane. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we all need to, we all need to keep stretching and, uh, growing and trying, trying new things and pushing ourselves farther than we ever thought we can go. And that's the symbol of the refusal of the call comes there. Meaning oftentimes in, in the story, it's somebody that pulls the hero or the mentor out of their complacency and says, no, you have to come on this adventure. Um, uh, unfortunately in real life, we don't, those people are sort of rare and hard to come by. It's, mm. We have to find that within ourselves. Yeah. That that person who's going to pull us out of the world of the common day, as Campbell said, and uh, uh, force ourselves into danger. You know, and I mentioned before, like uh, the sea. If you let yourself go into the sea, the sea will draw you in. Yeah. And that's a metaphor for writing, but that's also a dangerous proposition. You don't know wh- where the sea is going to take you. Will you drown? Will you? Will you never come back? So, so you know, uh, venturing out into the unknown, whether it's physical or, in our case, uh, figurative is a dangerous process. You don't know where it will take you. Hmm. Now, your third prompt, which is a lovely segue, is uh, how will your protagonist learn to love himself or herself? So what's the what's what's your book helping with on the psychology on that front? I think uh, um, that's where story comes in. <laughs> Meaning if the first two questions are really all about character development and this idea of uh, your character has to have something about themselves that they want to change, even if they're not aware of it. Mm. And your character 
has to uh, sort of have this strong feeling that's going to pull them off into some type of adventure or journey. Um, that's all about what they're going through on the inside. So that, then the question of how, well, that's the story itself. Uh, meaning what story do you need for that character, A, to grow and become the, the character, the person that they need to become, and B, for them to understand that that's what's happening. Again, not necessarily literally that, you know, each scene they're saying, now I'm becoming this, and now I'm learning this. But it has to be fairly clear, at least to the viewer, this is a step-by-step -step process of the character becoming a better person. Yeah. And, that's, and, and, and that's what we all love about those main characters is uh, uh, like us, they're trying to grow and change. How, how um, of interest, how, how do you feel that the, maybe give us a couple of examples, maybe if you can illustrate the examples, how the different psychologists you referenced talk about this. I mean, do they, do they ever contradict each other or are they always finding, this, finding themselves to the same place? Um, well, if you think, like, let's take a very simple character that probably everybody understands. Not a simple character, but a well-known character like um, uh, Luke Skywalker, say, from Star Wars. Mm. And we can go sort of go through these prompts. So how is your protagonist conflicted about himself? Um, well, in the case of Luke, when you reach him in the beginning, he doesn't, he's not refusing the call so much, but he sees himself as a boy looking for an adventure. So if you ask him in the beginning of the movie, you know, what's your conflict? Why don't you like yourself? He'll say, well, I'm just, you know, I'm bored on this planet all by myself with my elderly aunt and uncle and all this sand and sand people. I, I was born for better things. I'm a great pilot. I should be fighting with um, the, uh, the rebels. So that's the conflict that he thinks he has, but it's absolutely not <laughs> the conflict that we think about when we think of Luke Skywalker. Mm. We think about more about, the fact that his father is Darth Vader um, and he respects what he knows about his father, that his father was a great Jedi and, but he doesn't know. And he has to learn that Darth Vader was, is his father too. So he, uh, so like many heroes, he has a very conflicted relationship with his father figure and he has to learn that as a process of his story. Mm. So uh, when we get to that first prompt, how is your protagonist conflicted about his or her identity? The protagonist usually doesn't know. That's the screenwriter's question for yeah, the yeah, screenwriter. Yeah. Um, when we get to the next part is, how does your protagonist hate himself or herself? Well, that comes later on in Luke's story when he realizes that there are things about him that he shares with his father. And those things might include a desire for power, a desire for prestige, a desire, um, to a desire for control all things that he never had. So he has to learn, okay, you know, and, and by this point, we're really sort of Empire Strikes Back. We're not even in the first movie anymore. Right. But it takes at least a movie for, for Luke Skywalker to understand, oh, what I hate about myself is my father, or at least the dark side of my father, mm. Darth Vader. So how do you hate that? When the thing about you hate, your, the thing about yourself that you hate is this person who you both love and hate. Now that's a conflict because you can't just kill that person because you love him and you can't, you know, not kill that person because he's evil. So what do you do? And then it, uh, we have to get to the third film to address that last prompt or how will your protagonist learn to love himself or herself? And in this case, it's interesting in order for Luke in return of the Jedi to love himself he has to change somebody else. He has to change Darth Vader from an evil character to a good character. 
And that's eventually what he does accomplish. He turns Darth Vader against the Emperor. And, you know, then the Death Star blows up and we're all happy. But again, but it's a little bit tricky because if you're thinking from the beginning, there's something about this character that has to change. And then at the end you realize, oh, well, what, what has to change about this character is not necessarily himself, although that's a big part of it, but he has to change somebody else. He has to inspire somebody else to change. Wow, that's an interesting story, right? Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. An, interesting, an interesting story about character development. And then all of that mythology that George Lucas created with Ewoks and droids and all of that stuff, it's just a set piece to get to that really crucial integral story at the core of those first three movies, which is, uh, what is uh, Luke's real conflict? Not the one he thinks he has, but the one that the screenwriter knows he has. Mm. Um, what is it about himself? Uh, his wrap up. What is it about himself that he needs to change? And so, which means that first he has to learn about himself in order to figure out <laughs> what that is. Yeah. And then that last process is well, how are you going to do it? Well, that's simply the story itself. Uh, the, the story itself is complicated, and there's lots of twists and turns, but. The guide is there. The guide meaning, here's your character. What is it about themselves that needs to change? How, you know, uh, uh, how are they going to figure that out? And then how are they going to do it? So far, I've only read the Freud chapter. So that's, that's as much as I know. But what, what was fascinating for me reading it as someone that's been writing for the last sort of 12, 15 years is, is how much of it was subconscious in terms of how, I mean, not, I'm not comparing myself to Freud, by any stretch of imagination, yeah. but what you were drawing out of what Freud was saying and saying how that can be, how that is useful to story. I mm-hmm. found it really fascinating that these were questions you were, because you were just looking at how you'd, you bring in, you make people closer in relationship to make the drama greater. You know, if somebody, if people don't yeah. know each other and they're from the opposite side of the world, you go, they're in conflict. You go, so what? But if you go, if it's a father and son, and one hates the other. That's we know. We understand that. That's that becomes that creates drama already. You know, before you yeah. before you begin. And one of one of my purposes in writing the book and starting with Freud is not just to say, well, it all starts with Freud, but also to make people understand that Freud does make sense. We in school we tend to learn like the Oedipus complex mm. and the penis envy, and we learn the sort of. Uh, we, we learn a sort of textbook version of Freud, right. which doesn't make sense. The, the average person says, I never wanted to have sex with my mother and kill my father. I can't relate to that. Yeah. And what Freud was trying to say is, this is a drama. Oedipus was a drama. And we all go through that drama. But the reason Oedipus had to kill his father and have sex with his mother in order for this inner truth to be revealed to him. Mm. That doesn't happen to have to happen in us. Again, like, like when I use the words love and hate for the prompts, you make things dramatic. So they stand out and and people pay attention to it. And that's what a story does. Uh, But we all can relate to the Oedipus complex simply if we say, well, we're all conflicted about our parents. We love them. Well, sometimes we hate them too. And, and we take that same conflict and we can, projected onto any relationship to our, with our spouses, with our friends, and most importantly, with ourselves. We, we love and hate ourselves. And that's why uh, um, it's, a, it's endless conflict. It's endless drama, not just with other people, with, but with ourselves. Brilliant. Well, look, thank you very much for uh, just mm-hmm. giving us a kind of a, a look into uh, your book, Psychology for Screenwriters. Um, congratulations on the second edition. Um, thank you. And it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving your time on the Britflix podcast. 
Uh, it was a wonderful time. It was fun talking with you. Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.